Revelation chapter 6 says, Now, John's speaking, John the Apostle, he says, Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a loud thunder, a voice like thunder, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow. And a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come and see. And another horse, fiery red, went out, and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth, and that people should kill one another. And there was given to him a great sword, and then he opened a third seal, and I heard the third living creature saying, Come and see. And so I looked, and behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard the voice in the midst of the four living creatures, saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature, saying, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and the name of him who said on it was Death, and Hades followed with him. And power was given over to them, over a fourth of the earth, to kill with the sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge your blood on those who dwell on the earth? And then a white robe was given to each one of them. And it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren would be killed as they were, was completed. And I looked, and when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood, and the stars of the heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. And then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the rocks and in the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of his wrath has come." And who, who is able to stand? So now we turn a corner now. When we were in chapters 4 and chapter 5, the, the, the scene was in heaven. And now the scene switches from heaven. Now it's down to the earth. And in fact, this section that we're looking at this morning, hopefully we'll get through all of chapter 6, it is called, it's the beginning of the great tribulation period. It is a seven-year period after the church is removed in the rapture where God will pour out his wrath upon a world that has rejected his only means of salvation. And that means of salvation is his son, Jesus Christ. The Bible is replete with the idea that we must be saved, and it's to be saved through him, because only he could have taken the punishment that you and I deserve. And he took that upon himself. Why? So that we would not taste the second death, that we wouldn't taste hell ever. I don't know about you, but that is enough to shoot me like a, like a rocket into space. See, and the reason why it doesn't sometimes when I find myself getting kind of uh, cold and indifferent, it's because I don't understand. And I want to encourage you to really dwell on this. 
Think of how great a salvation God has given to each of us. Think of it. I mean, think about, I mean, you know, you know what scares me to death? And because I'm weird, I think like this. I think to myself, Lord, I could be spending an eternity in hell where there is fire. There is torment and it will never, ever end. That's what I deserve, but that's not what I've been given by faith. But that's what I deserve. And listen, folks, have you ever had a pain that was so bad you just couldn't shake it? Medication didn't, didn't quell it? I can't imagine how many times exponentially over and over again that that will be the case in so many different variations and forms and for those outside who have chosen, they have chosen that place. God wants you to choose life. Choose Christ today. Don't choose anything else. And yet God now, as we look at this chapter, he is going to unleash his wrath. The church has been removed, and now there's a period of time called the Great Tribulation, Jacob's Trouble, the 70th week of Daniel. However you want to call it, it's very clear in the Bible. All of these things, this is a time of wrath. That's why at the end of the verse there that we just read, it says they, they hid their face from the Lamb, from him who sits on the throne, God the Father, and the wrath of the Lamb. The wrath of the Lamb. <clears throat> Excuse me. And we're in that time period now, this third section of the book of Revelation. Remember, our, our outline is for us, uh, given to us right there in the first chapter of Revelation. Remember, John said, uh, or Jesus spoke to John, write the things which you have seen, the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. Well, we saw in chapter 4, it begins after these things. The same Greek word, metatauta. And so now we, from chapter 4 until the chapter, the very last chapter, 22, we are in the last section of the book of Revelation. The church is absent throughout all this time that we're going to be reading. The church is absent on earth because the church is where? 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 In heaven. That's right. The church is in heaven. And we know that this section that we're starting with is the beginning of the, 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 the first three and a half years. There's, there's two sections of the, of the book of Revelation. There's the first half of the tribulation, which begins with this rider that we're going to see on the white horse. And he is going to make a peace treaty. Daniel tells us in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, that he is going to make a, a treaty, <clears throat> excuse me, with, the, with Israel to rebuild their temple. And in midway through that seven-year period, somewhere in that three-and-a-half-year period, he is going to set himself up as the one that should be ruled, the Antichrist, an image of himself in the Holy of Holies. And then the last part of the book of Revelation really begins around chapter 16, where we see the, the bowls of wrath, now God really just letting the, the world have it. And it's really coming down heavy. And so we see these things. And so we know that this is the beginning. This is the beginning. In fact, um, I'll just read this. In Revelation chapter 11, uh, Revelation chapter 11 is in the, this period of the of this seven-year period, somewhere in the middle period, right before the midpoint. 
In fact, uh, Revelation chapters 10 through 15 are really in this middle period of this seven-year period. And what does it say? It says that when I, in verse 1 of chapter 11, it says, I saw, uh, I was given a reed like a measuring rod, and the angel stood saying, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there, but leave out the court which is outside the temple. Do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles, and they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. What is 42 months? But three and a half years. That's what it is. And I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days, again, 42 months. Other words, three and a half years. They will prophesy clothed in sackcloth. So this first three and a half years, these two witnesses are going to be active, and they are going to torment, according to the words of the people on the earth, they are going to be tormented by, what they're, by the, the things that they're going to be doing. And yet, what does it say? So we know that that first three and a half years belongs to them during that time. And it says that when they finish their testimony, this is verse 7 of chapter 11 there, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, kill them. Their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. So we know what city that is, right? What is it? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Then, then those from the peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days. Has there ever been a time in history when in Israel, three and a, three, for three and a half days, that somebody, the whole world could view three and a half bodies? Only in this century. Because the internet was fairly new. But now we can see live what's happening over in Bangladesh. We can see live things that are happening all over the world. And so we live in the time that the technology fits for this kind of thing to happen. So those peoples, tongue, tongues, and tribes and nations will see their dead bodies for three and a half days and not allow their dead bodies to be put into graves, put into graves. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, make merry, and then send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. And then we look over in verse uh, chapter 13, and it talks about the beast of the sea, which we're going to get to. It talks about the Antichrist, and what does it say concerning him? In verse 5, it says that he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months, another three and a half years after these witnesses have been put to death. So do you see how this thing is fitting together? And so we're going to see in the book of Revelation, especially in chapter 6 going forward, we're going to see the scene alternating from heaven where the church is, where Jesus is, and down to the earth. And then from heaven, and then down to the earth. In fact, this goes back and forth for 14 times. Seven pairs of heaven and earth, heaven and earth, heaven and earth, heaven and earth. The scene just constantly is switching. And so when we get into chapter 6 now, that's exactly what we're seeing. We're seeing the things that are coming upon the earth. And we're not going to go through this today, but I would have you write down in the margin of your Bible a reference. As we look at chapter 6 and 7, but especially chapter 6, I want you to look at Matthew chapter 24. Verses 4 through 14, because Jesus, if you remember last week we looked at, he gave us kind of like an uh, in, in abbreviated form, the outline of this tribulation. And it's very interesting that verses 4 through 14 parallel Revelation chapter 6 that we're looking at today. 
It parallels it very nicely. Matthew talks about false Christs. In chapter 6, we're going to see a rider on a white horse who is nothing but a false Christ, the Antichrist. We also hear in Matthew, wars and rumors of wars. And then we find, and I'm going sequentially here, we see the rider on the red horse who makes war. And, and then again in Matthew, it talks about famine. And then in Revelation 6 again, it speaks about a, a rider on a black horse who, who, um, who brings famine. And then we see famines and plagues, and we still see this rider in the, this, uh, a pale horse now who speaks of disease and famine. And there'll be persecution, as it says in Matthew 24, and martyrdom. And we certainly see that going sequentially through Revelation 6 and terrors and great cosmic signs. And we certainly see that in the last six, cha- six verses of chapter 6. And the preaching, worldwide preaching of the gospel, we hear about that in Matthew 24, 14. And we see that in the next chapter, in chapter 7, of the 144,000 who are sealed, 144,000 Jews that are going to be preserved and saved and used in a very evangelical way throughout the earth at this time. And so I would encourage you to take a look at that. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at these seals, and we're going to see what we know as the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Four horsemen. In fact, you'll notice that as we go along, the four living creatures before the throne, they herald each one of these horsemen, these four horsemen of the apocalypse. And each one of these horsemen brings disaster, one upon another. And it's interesting. Let's look at the very first verse again. It says, Now when I saw the Lamb open one of the seals, and I heard one of the, one of the four living creatures saying with a loud voice and uh, like thunder, Come and see. And so... We see uh, this, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, there in his redemptive form in heaven, opening up this, this seal. It could be the title deed of the earth, some have said. When Adam and Eve were in the garden, you recall that by, by their choosing to disobey God and obey Satan, they basically handed over the thing that God had given to them. And from now on, from that moment until the Lord returns in his second coming, the Bible calls Satan the ruler of this world. We know what the psalm says, right? Psalm 24 says, The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof and all they that dwell therein. And that's certainly true. But for a season, for a time, and it's been a long time, who has been the ruler on this earth? Who has been the one creating uh, havoc and problems. None other than Satan himself. He is called the ruler of this world. In fact, if you look with me at John chapter 12, Jesus said so himself. He said, my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Glorify your name, Father. And then a voice came from heaven saying, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore, the people who stood by heard it and said that it had thundered. And others said an angel had spoken to him. And Jesus answered and said, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. And now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And Jesus spoke of this antichrist, this, 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 this demonic man filled with Satan more than once. 
In John 14, verse 30, he said it. John 16, verse 11, he said the same thing. The same title, the ruler of this world. And if you recall, even in Matthew's gospel, when Jesus was being tempted after his baptism with John, remember one of the things that Satan told Jesus. It says in Matthew 4, verse 8, again, the devil took him up to an exceeding high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and he said to Jesus, all these things I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. And you notice Jesus didn't and rebuke him and say, uh, have you read Psalm 24, buddy? The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Oh, believe me, Satan knows that truth. But for now, he's the ruler of this age. And he has the whole world under his sway. Why is it a battle to be a Christian? Why is it a battle even now as a Christian to, to live the life of, that Christ has given you? Even with the Spirit of God in you, do you ever feel like a, a, a little minnow swimming up, upstream when the current is racing toward you? And as you go, this little minnow, and you're making every little fin push a little, you're going upstream, and, and all around you, coming at you, are great white sharks, 18 feet long, and they're hungry, and there's hordes of them coming your direction. Do you feel like that way as a Christian? I do. That's the reality. You live on enemy territory until the Lord returns. Notice it says the Lamb, Jesus Christ. You know, as we get into this book of Revelation, as the seals are open, I'll turn your attention to the screen here because it, it speaks of seven seals. And it's interesting that this seven-seal document, really within this document, contains all of the wrath of God in one thing. In fact, as we get to the seventh seal, um, you'll notice that it, when, when that seventh seal is open, it really opens up seven trumpets. And then at the end of the seven trumpets, it opens up bowls of wrath. And these are just... Things that uh, God has placed here to show us his narrative and the sequence of things as, they, as things go along in the great tribulation period. Does that make sense? At the seventh of every one opens up another one and it unfolds and becomes another seven. Does that make sense? And so that's what we're going to see through the, through the book of Revelation. And we're starting right here in chapter 6 with that very thing. Notice verse 2, And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. And although he is riding on a white horse, don't let that confuse you, because many think that this may, have been, this, may, this may be Jesus Christ coming back on a white horse, because we know in Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, that he comes back on a white horse. He does. But as we look at this, we're going to see some incongruous ideas about this because look what it says. Or let me just share with you. First of all, Jesus comes back on a white horse at the end of the tribulation, not at the beginning. Does that make sense? We're at the beginning now. He comes back on a white horse at the end. And the context of these three other horsemen is evil, not a context that the king of kings should be in. The very context is they are conquering, they are destroying. And Jesus, the Lamb, he's opening the seal. Why would he be opening the seal to something that he's going to be doing? He doesn't. This is none other, this first rider on a white horse is none other than the beast from the sea that is spoken of in Revelation 13, and we'll be getting to that. And one of the things that we can look at is just comparing these two, uh, these, these two riders. One carries, we'll see um, here in Revelation, that he has a bow. 
He had a bow and he had a crown on his head. Went out conquering and a conqueror. So this rider in, in Revelation 6 carries a bow. Some believe that it's actually like a bow, like a bow and arrow. I'm not really convinced that that's what it is, but it could be. And we know that Jesus, in Revelation 19, he, ha- he wields a sword as well at the end of the Great Tribulation, at the beginning when he comes back to the earth in the second coming. We know that the writer here in Revelation 6, he wears a crown, but this is a different kind of crown. It's the, the, the Greek word is Stephanos. It's a, it's a kind of crown, like a laurel wreath, a laurel crown that you would get when you win an award in the, in the games, like the Roman games. That's really what it's speaking of. But when you look at what it says in Revelation 19, that Jesus is wearing many crowns. And those crowns aren't these little laurel wreaths. They are what they call diadems. And they are literally crowns for kings. And he's wearing many of them. Very different. Very different. And the rider on the horse is initiating war. But what does Jesus do when he comes back? He destroys his enemies and he brings an end to war. Very big difference between this rider and Revelation 6 and the one coming back in Revelation 19, which you will be riding behind him on white horses as well. I love that. (laughs) I wonder if I can name mine. Trigger. I'm going to name my horse and I'm going to have those just, just because. Laura, would you allow me to have on the each side like Clint Eastwood? You know, the 44 mags on each side. Even, even if I don't use them, it's just a look thing. It's just a feel-good thing. Even though, you know, you're not doing any of the fighting, I just want to look cool when I come back, you know. But notice also, this first rider, he commences the tribulation, and obviously when Jesus comes back, it is the climax of the tribulation, and it ends it. And this bow... In the original language, it literally means a a bow, uh, apparently uh, as as the simplest fabric. So this could be a bow. Like, remember when you were in uh, 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 maybe Cub Scouts or Girl Scouts and you won an award, you got this little ribbon, you know, a bow of some kind, you know, a bow and it's blue and it had the little, you know, first prize or whatever. It could be something like that because that's what the Greek says. You know, it's some kind of fabric bow that he's got. And that just speaks of him not, this first horse, not coming back as some kind of warrior in a sense. He does it in a different way through diplomacy. He's not the one wielding the sword and, and forcing. He's conquering and he's conquering, but there's no bow. There's no, there, there's no arrows, if that's indeed what it is. He, he's, he's, he comes peace. He comes for peace. He comes for peace. In fact, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 3, when Paul was talking to them about this period of time in the tribulation, he said, For when they say, when the world says peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, they shall not escape. They shall not escape. And so this, this, this being on this white horse is none other than the Antichrist. And maybe it's a bow, like a rainbow. Could it be? You know, when we think of Genesis chapter 9, when God gave to humanity the rainbow in the sky as what? A promise that he wouldn't flood the earth again with a global flood. There's certainly been many local floods, but a global flood won't happen again. I can tell you that for sure. It's not going to happen. And I'm not even a scientist. It will never happen again. 
Because God promised. And what is a bow other than a symbol of a pact, a treaty, a promise? So could it be that this Antichrist is carrying a bow? He's carrying a promise in his hand. And what is that promise to the Jews? You can build your temple. And this man is going to be so swift. He's going to be so suave. He's going to be so well-spoken. This guy is going to be slick like a snake. He is going to be able to speak and people are going to be like, I've never heard such a thing. He's going to have charisma. He is going to be handsome. I'm convinced of it. This caricature that you have of the, of the Antichrist or the devil with a red suit and a pointy tail and a pitchfork, you've got to get rid of that. You know, you get that from that deviled ham. You know, the Underwood thing or whatever that is, the deviled ham that you spread on toast. Men do that, women don't. You see that little picture of him on the, on the front there? That's not, that's not him at all. He comes as an angel of light. He comes as someone who's got all the answers. And boy, he's going to sound sweet. He's going to sound convincing. He's going to be so convincing. If it weren't for the Spirit of God, every one of us in this room would cave into his deception. If it weren't for the Spirit of God. And guess what? You're not going to be here anyway, so you don't have to worry about it. Amen? Amen. Everybody put a thumbs up. Yes. You're not going to see it. So this bow, could it be a rainbow? Because we know what it says in Daniel, right? A bow is a promise. It's a covenant. It's a treaty that God made with the inhabitants of the earth. And what did Daniel say in 927? He shall confirm this Antichrist, this rider on the white horse in Revelation 6. He is going to confirm in the beginning of this three and a half year period that we're reading about. He is going to confirm a covenant with many for a week. In other words, a week of years, seven years. But in the middle of the week, in the middle of that seven year period, he is going to bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. We know that he is going to, based on other passages, he's going to place an image of himself. In fact, I said this last time, but when we were in Israel many years ago, I remember uh, we went to the Temple Institute. We didn't go this last March, but uh, previous years we had. And uh, they, they have a collection for the new temple that, they're, that the Jews are ready to build this new temple. They got the... Uh, the cornerstone already set, and they've tried to wheel that thing up on a cart a couple of different times, and it nearly erupted in a war. They've tried to do it. They were forbidden to do it, but they're ready. They've got all the instruments, all the utensils, the snuffers, the, the, the garments, everything. They got it all ready. It's ready to go as we speak. They're ready. And when this Antichrist allows them, they're going to have everything ready. Just open the doors and move the materials into the building. And I remember one of us was putting in into this big thing, you know, money in support of this temple because we're Christians. And we're like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. We like the temple. We like that idea. And I remember Pastor Bill or Pastor Scott or Pastor Jeff, I forget which one of them said, do you realize that you're contributing to the Antichrist temple? Oops. So then like New York Christians, we smashed the glass and grabbed our money and ran. No, just kidding. So... That's what's happening. It's coming. And notice this crown. This was not a, this was a laurel crown. This was a Stephanos. This is a, uh, something that was given. Notice it was given to him. A crown was given to him. He didn't, he didn't demand it. It was given to him. Only God can give these things. And yet the crown that Jesus comes back is a diadem. 
It says in Revelation 19, his eyes, Jesus, when he comes to the earth, his eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, many diadems, very different kind of crown. And he had a name written that no one knew except himself. No one knew. And remember that Satan is a counterfeiter. He doesn't come up with anything new. He mimics what he sees. He knows what the Bible better than you and I do. And he knows what's coming. He knows what's coming. And what greater way to deceive than to be in the place of. Everybody thinks he's going to be opposed to. It can mean that. Antichrist can mean opposed to or in place of. And when he comes back on a white horse, there's going to be enough people that know just enough to think this must be Christ because it's a white horse. He's coming, and we're going to exalt him. And by the way, he's pretty handsome. And by the way, he's got all the answers. By the way, he can do some really amazing signs and wonders. And he died, and he was resurrected, it tells us in Revelation 13, which we're going to get to. That sounds like Jesus. All hail, all hail, and they'll bow to this image. But you and I will not be here to witness that. He will be a smooth operator, a smooth talker. When he comes onto the scene, everyone will fawn and be amazed at him. And he is forming the minds of people right now, and the media is his puppet. Anybody recognize that? He is forming minds. Have you been around in the last 10 years, 20 years? Is it getting worse? I think it is. It's getting worse. It's getting worse. It's getting more deceptive. And the media... And I'm not, I'm not ashamed, and you may disagree with me, and that's okay, because you're wrong. But the media, the media is in the hands of Satan. They don't, they don't even know it, and they would, re, they would say, no, that's not true. They can say what they want, but they are feeding right out of his hand, and they don't even know it. I doubt that they really would even admit to it. They're just following their own heart, and their own heart, apart from God, is governed by who? Satan. And such were some of us. But he is forming the minds. He's doing it right now. Have you seen the progression? Have you been alive? Have you, your eyes have been opened? He is using it. And he's doing a great job in this, because it's working. The authorities, police and law enforcement, and the authority of God's word, which is the truth, is being attacked like never, ever before. The Satan is a, a, a consummate counterfeiter. He will come back on a white horse. He will sound like a lamb, but he's a dragon. He is going to have the appearance of light. And people will be bamboozled by him. But what did Jesus say concerning him? Do I have it here? I don't think I do. There it is. John 8.44, Jesus speaking to the unbelieving Jews. He says, you are of your father the devil and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and a father of it. But the media today is so truthful in everything they say. They always tell the truth. There's no agenda. I mean, you got to be kidding if they're... I mean, no, there's no agenda behind what they're doing. There's no slant. Come on. But it says in verse 2 that this, this being, this Antichrist who comes to conquer and is conquering, he will do it through diplomacy. There won't be any need for a battle yet. Smooth operator. 
the physical nature of this onslaught will come with the second rider, which we're going to look at now. Verse 3, when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, come and see. Another horse, fiery red, went out, and it was granted. Notice, it was granted to him. He didn't demand it. He didn't get of, of his own resources. It was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth and that people should kill one another. And there was given to him a great sword, fiery red. What does it speak of? Red always is a symbol of power and of bloodshed. And that's what it is. Notice that this writer is given permission by God to do this. He was granted. He was given a sword. He was given. Concerning Satan, he has to get permission from God to destroy or to do anything. He is not a free agent. He can't just do as he pleases. He is not omnipresent. He is not omniscient. He is not omnipotent. He is a dog on a leash. And God only allows him. And these, this writer, this second writer, is given certain things, granted by God. Does that surprise you? Does that, does that worry you? We see it in Scripture. Look at uh, in Revelation chapter 20. Verse 1 and 2, it says, The angel of the Lord came down from heaven, having the, an angel. It doesn't even tell what angel it is. This angel in, in Revelation 20 comes down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of that dragon, that old serpent, who was called the devil and Satan, and he bound him for a thousand years. During the beginning of, at the end of the tribulation period, in the beginning of the millennial reign, this being, this Satan that has been the problem for centuries from the beginning, from Eden, is going to be chained up and thrown into the abuso, and he can't do a thing for a thousand years. He's going to sit down there and think about what he done, what he's done. God's going to put a dunce hat on him and turn him into the corner. But God gives permission. What does it say in Job? There was a day, Job chapter 1, verse 6, there was a day when the sons of God, these, these angels, came to present themselves before the Lord. And notice, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? Notice that Satan is in heaven approaching the throne of God. And that's where he is right now. That's a kind of a funny thought, isn't it? He has access to heaven. He's still in the heavenly realm. He still has access to God, but that day's coming when God is going to thrust him out and he will no longer have that access to heaven like he does now. And as we see in Job, Satan also came from among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? And Satan answered and said to the Lord, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? that there is none like him in all the earth, a blameless and an upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. And Satan answered and said to the Lord, Does Job, Job fear God for nothing? You have made a hedge around him, around his household, around all that he has on every side. You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in, in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord gives him permission. The Lord said, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. And so Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. He did exactly that. God gave him permission to go a certain distance and no further. There are some people today that think that Satan is just, he can do what he wants. No, everything that he does, he can only do by allowance. And that's really scary too, isn't it? 
Because sometimes you see some things and you think, Lord, why would you allow this? Why would you allow this? Why? I don't understand. And it's because of our limited understanding. It's hard. That's why we have to believe by faith. And it's not a blind faith. The faith that we have with Jesus is very clear. It's very substantiated. But it's something that nobody can... Nobody should be able to rest out of your hands. It's a, it's a faith that, that nobody can see, except they can see it in your life as you walk, right? Because isn't that what happens when we, when we put feet on the things that we read, the things that we know? That becomes a witness, doesn't it? People can see that there's something different about you. And hopefully they do. Hopefully they see something different about all of us. If Christ is in me, there ought to be a difference. Is there a difference in you? Do, do your coworkers, do your family, do they see somebody different standing before them than before you got saved? I hope so. If not, you need to go back to the prayer closet and say, Lord, what happened to me? What happened to my faith? Have I been so comfortable with the world that it's been slowly dripping like water on sandstone and it's, has it eroded my faith? Lord, bring me back. Is that where you're at? I pray that everyone's faith is strong and abiding and, and getting better. We see the same thing in Job chapter 2. It says, again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves again. And the Lord said to Satan, where are you coming from? Satan says, oh, going for to and from the earth, walking up and down. And he says, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him. He's a blameless and an upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. And still he holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. And Satan answered him and said, skin for skin, yes. All that a man has, he will give for his own life. But stretch out your hand on him now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord says, try it. The Lord has an unfair advantage, doesn't he? He knows Job. Job doesn't even know himself. Satan doesn't know what God knows. God, is, God knows all things, and he knows something. I mean, he, he's thinking to himself, you know what? He could have told Satan this, but inside the counsels of God, he's saying, I know my servant Job. He's going to go through a, he's going to be right on the edge of his, losing his mind, but when I, I'm going to be with him, and I'm going to get him through it, and at the end, he's going to have twice as much as he ever had before. His faith is going to be grounded in me. He's going to see now, not with just the hearing ear, but now Job said, I've seen you with my own eyes. I've seen the way you work. It's like you're standing before me. And all of this was given to Satan to do. He is on a leash, just as he is in here in Revelation. Let's go back to verse 4 here. And so this, this, this horse, this fiery red, it takes peace from the earth. And the Antichrist, he brings peace. He comes with a bow. He comes with a promise, a treaty. With diplomacy, he is going to destroy when peace and safety, when they say peace and safety, sudden destruction is going to come upon them. He is going to, the second rider is going to remove that false peace that many will receive. The false peace that the Antichrist on the white horse would bring, this false peace that he's going to bring would be necessary because the world is just going to undergo something they've never seen before. Millions of people are going to vanish in the rapture. Is that going to create some stir in the world? You better believe it. And this one, I believe, is going to be able to say, I know where they went. I know where they're at. 
like the world shaking, like a dog uh, shaking himself and, and flicking off the water and flicking off the ticks and the bugs off of him when he's been rolling around in the mud. The earth has shook too and those people are gone to destruction. Now we can embrace peace. We now can have everything we've ever wanted that they have stood in the way of for so long. Do you realize that there's going to be a flood of deception when the church is removed? In 2 Thessalonians, it talks about he who restrains will be will restrain until he is taken out of the way and then that wicked one will be revealed with all lying signs and power. He is going to deceive the world and believe me, the things that are going to go through, the laws... The things that are going to happen, everything's going to open up. Yeah, it's okay. You can abort your child. It's okay. They wouldn't allow us. The church wouldn't allow us. The light that was in the world, they, they spoke against it. Well, guess what? Your body means more than anything that's growing inside of you. And boy, it sounds so good. You can do it. Here's the method you can do it. And everyone will go, yeah, yeah. And you don't need guns. I tell you, it's going to be a wicked, wicked time. So this writer represents war, not only domestic, but international. There will be civil upheaval in this time. You think it's bad now? You think what we see in Portland is bad right now? It looks like hell. When you see the videos, it looks like hell. Satan is having a field day. And he's got the minds of these mayors and governors. They're right close to him, close to his bosom. He's got them in his hands. They are insane. They want to defund the police. What kind of thing is happening in our country? What kind of insanity is happening? Why? Why are people losing their minds? Why are people supposed to be serving the public losing their minds? I don't know about you, but this makes me angry. Is anybody angry? Who's going to protect you when they defund the police? Who... (laughs) Who's going to come to the school when the next school shooting happens? I remember seeing a, a thing in California where a bunch of people were together and like, defund the police, and they're all teachers. And I'm like, well, who's going to come to your, your school when, they're come, when a guy comes in with an AK-47 who's mentally insane, probably de- demon-possessed? Who's going to come then? Are you going to pull out your squirt gun? They've lost their minds. But there can never be peace on the earth in its fullest ideal until the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, comes. Until then, there is going to be a false peace. Notice, and when he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And so this obviously speaks of weights and measures. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. A quart, literally in this thing, is, is a, roughly a, a, a little less than a quart in our society in our in our culture in our uh, weights and measures that's really what this is about so in a denarius is something that you a wage that you would earn for an entire day's work so guess what at this time there's going to come a point when this second rider comes or um when this rider comes on the scene there's going to be famine and your day's wage think about it how much do you get in a day 80 100 dollars 120 dollars maybe average for some people to work, all of that's going to go for basically a loaf of bread. 
There won't be anything left. That's how bad it's going to get. That's how bad it's going to get. So this speaks of famine and uh, hyperinflation. John Walvoord said this, a, a really wonderful brother, a great pastor, great theologian, great prophecy expert. He says, to put it in ordinary language, the situation would be such that one would have to spend a day's wage for a loaf of bread with no money left over to buy anything else. In fact, I was looking at some statistics Going back to down along the, the bottom here, you'll see the years, 1930, 1940, all the way up to 2010. And you'll notice that um, it talks about disposable income, personal income. And disposable personal income is money that you have after income tax. After income tax is taken out, what you have left over is your disposable personal income. And it shows here along the uh, left side of this graph the percentage of personal income that people had back even in 1930, right around the time of the Great Depression, notice it was 24%. So 24% of my DPI or my uh, disposable personal income, 24% of that roughly was used for food. That's quite, a, that's quite a lot, wouldn't you say? That's nearly a quarter, right? And then ever since then, up until the current day, in fact, I looked at some t- statistics going uh, up to the March 2020, and actually this line pretty much just stays Stays there about 9.6, 9.5, 9.8, somewhere in that area. It's the lowest it's ever been. It's the lowest it's ever been. And the amount of money that people have gotten, their, 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 um, their disposable personal income, starting way back in the 50s, has gone like this ever since. So we've got this great disposable income, and our food the, the, amount, the, the percentage that we spend on food is getting lower and lower. Even in 2008, when we had what we called the Great uh, Recession, remember that? It was still at 9.6. 9.6 of our DPI was used on food. And why do I bring that up? Because when this occurs, when this, when this horseman comes onto the scene, it is going to make the Great Depression look like child's play. No, no, our world has never seen anything like it. It's going to make the 24% disposable personal income, it's going to be nearly 100%. That's how bad things are going to get. We've never, ever experienced anything like that, ever. Even in the Great Depression, when people were jumping out of windows, when their investments were drying up, when they knew that they, the food was going to be expensive and they lost all this money, They jumped out of windows. What's it going to be like when nearly 100% occurs? When a whole day's wage is just going to buy you enough food for you. When he opened the fourth seal, verse 7, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, now a pale horse. And the name, and this is the first horse that's actually given a name. The name who sat on him was Death, and Hades followed with him. And power was given to him over a fourth of the earth. To do what? To kill with the sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. This pale horse, it's an ash-colored horse. It's a pale color. The, the, The word in the original language is chloro which is where we get chlorophyll. And it's it's a greenish color, but this color is like a yellowish, greenish, kind of sickly color. It's the kind of color you feel when you're nauseous. You know what I mean? It's the color you feel when you're nauseous. That's this pale horse. 
One author said that this color gives the image of a corpse in the advanced stages of decomposition. This is how ugly. And what does this signify? Famine and plagues. Pestilence. Are we getting a taste of it now? Right now, we're right in the middle of this thing. And it's really not that bad. Honestly, this thing's just a little bit worse than the flu, a little bit. And yet, we're locked down. Don't go outside. So much fear. I don't know about you, but I've probably overstepping what I'm saying here, but I'm sick of this. I think there's a truth. I think we've been bamboozled to some extent, to a large extent. Take care of the elderly, absolutely. But the rest of us, my opinion, we should get back to work. We should get back to church, do the right things. So he looked and noticed this pale horse, the name on him was death. This, this word is thanatos. So this is interesting. This is literally the physical death of the body. And I don't understand uh, that it speaks of them, you know, death, thanatos, and Hades. We know what Hades is, right? Hades is that the abode of the dead, the underworld, where a person goes, if they reject Christ, where do they go? They go to hell. We call that Hades. That's where they go. It's a holding pattern. It's a holding place. Until the great white throne judgment where death and Hades are cast into the lake of fire, which is Gehenna, which is the eternal state. And so when anybody goes there, it is not a pretty place. All your friends are not there partying with Jim Beam and Jack Daniels and listening to Charlie Daniels. Your friends aren't having a party there. They are in great suffering. Hopefully they're not. Yeah, man, see you in hell. Really? You hear that? Some people? They have no clue. Willful ignorance. First time we hear of this pair is in Revelation chapter 1, verse 18. In fact, what does it say? Let me just read it to you. Jesus, when he spoke in Revelation, the very beginning, he says, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of what? Hades and Thanatos. Death and hell. I have the keys to those things. We see it here in chapter 6, and we'll also see it when we get to Revelation chapter 20, where it says in verse 13 of chapter 20, the sea gave up the dead who were in it. And this is right before the great white throne judgment. And notice, and death and Hades, Thanatos and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. And then death and Hades were cast into what? The lake of fire. We call it Gehenna, a place of never-ending torment. That's the eternal state. That is the second death, and that's where they are going. And notice, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That's a company I don't want to keep. It wasn't even designed. Jesus tells us in Matthew 25 that hell was not created for people. It was originally created for his demons and Satan and the beast, the Antichrist and the false prophet. It was created for them and we choose whether we go there. What an amazing thing. I get to choose. I think I'll choose Christ. That's a party I don't want to be around. They're probably listening to ACDC. Hell's bells. 
back in black. Dirty deeds done dirt cheap. They're going to be singing. I don't want to be there. Actually, they're not going to be singing. They're going to be screaming. It's a part of the gospel, folks. Again, we can't leave out. I got saved because somebody told me the bad news. The bad news? What was it, Rob? If you continue in this life, in this sin that you're, you're doing, if you continue and you don't repent and turn to Christ, you are going to hell. What? And he showed it to me in the Bible. I read it and I'm like, Fear brought me into the kingdom of God, but it was quickly eclipsed by love and grace. I love it, don't you? Don't be afraid to tell people the bad news. Don't be afraid of turning them off. Tell them. They need to know, because they think they're okay. I'm okay. You're okay. It's like a Barney cartoon. I'm okay. You're okay. You know, and everyone's dancing, and everyone's purple and having a soft drink, you know. A sippy cup. I mean, it's, it's not that way. So I look, verse 8, and behold a pale horse. Notice that all power was given to him over a quarter, a fourth of the earth, to kill with the sword, with hunger, with death, and the beasts of the field. Earth's population as of March 2020 is 7,800,000,000 people. And a quarter of the people, a quarter of the population right now, when this, second, when this third horseman comes on the scene, you know what it's going to be like? A quarter of our current population, as of March 2020, a quarter of it would be 1,950,000,000 people are going to die. One of four people that you see will no longer be here. That's the judgment. Notice he's going to kill the beasts of the field. This, um, The word is therion, and... It could mean a wild animal. Certainly because of the famine, wild animals are going to need to eat too. And God's going to allow them, perhaps, it could be the wild beasts, you know, the lions and the tigers. I mean, I'm not going to want to go to the Adirondacks during this time. Thank God I won't be here at that time. But if I was, I'm certainly not going to go to the Adirondacks. Because I'm going to see the black bears when they were normally would scatter away when they see you. Now they're going to be like, bring it. No, I want to go. No, you're, you're gonna, you're gonna, we're going to do business right now. No, I really don't want to do business with you, Mr. Bear. No, we're going to have business. He's going to come after you. The restraint of the animal kingdom, lions, tigers, bears, oh my. Could it be the military or political leaders? It could be. Could it be plagues that come from birds or animals such as AIDS, Ebola, bird flu, COVID-19? Some believe that that could be the beasts of the earth. Could be. And then verse 9, Then he opened the fifth seal, and I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. These are the people during the tribulation period that are going to be martyred. Are people going to be able to be saved after the, during the tribulation period after the churches are moved? Yes, they will be. It's going to be very difficult. And when they do get saved, they will be hunted, and many of them will be killed. They will be martyred, and that's the people that, is, that the, the word is of, speaking of right here. And I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain, what, for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. Now, you may be asking yourself, why is this a judgment that these are going to be taken from the earth? 
and they are going to be secured under the altar. Why is that a judgment? Let me suggest to you this. The removal of these believers... When we are removed from the earth, it is going to be a judgment upon the earth. Did you know that? The rapture is going to be a blessing for us. We call it the blessed hope, but guess what? It's going to be a judgment for the world because the light and the salt is gone. It doesn't mean that the Spirit of God can't move, but it's going to be very, 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 very different. We're going to be removed. (laughs) There's going to be nobody in the way. They will think of it as a blessing I shared this with you before. I had a co-worker when I worked at a company here in Rochester. And she was a lesbian. She was a really nice lady, honestly. I really liked her. I mean, as a person, she was very fun to be around. And I talked to her and I shared with her. She's very staunch in her position. You know, I shared with her. That's all I could do. But I remember one time I walked by her desk. And you've heard me say this before. And she had a sticker on her thing. It says, I can't wait for the rapture. And when I saw that, I'm like, wow, I can't wait for the rapture. We'll have the whole world to ourselves. Did that sink in? Once these idiots are removed, these fundamental pre-tribbers, once they're removed, oh, we'll have it all to ourselves. Ah, what bliss. Hanging in the hammock by the shores of the Anirondacks. Bliss. Really? My Bible says something different. But it's going to be a judgment for even those believers to be in heaven. Because notice what it says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And Paul said to them, You know what is restraining that he may be revealed, speaking of the Antichrist, in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains, speaking of the Spirit of God in the church, will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then, then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, all power, all signs and lying wonders and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish. Why? Because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they may all be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. There is no greater thing that we have. We've got such a blessing. Aren't we so blessed? You have the truth. You're going up. I don't care about your performance today or your performance yesterday. If you're a believer, you're going up. We all are, we're all a mess. But hopefully you're less of a mess than you were yesterday. If not, that's when you need to get on your knees and say, Lord, I don't want to be a mess anymore. Help me to be obedient to you. And when I fail, God, and I'm going to fail, help me to, to confess it and to to get on my knees and confess it. And what is the, the, the truth? He will forgive us. You're going to be with him, saints. Hang in there. Regardless of how you feel right now, God has a plan and he's working it out. Don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Stay in the game. Stay in the fight. Get back to church. For those of you who are watching, come back to church. Wear your mask. It's fine. Probably a good idea for now. Wash your hands. 
And they cried with a loud voice, these martyrs, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And we'll see the answer to this question is given to us at the very end of the next verse. And what is it? Let's get to it. Then a white robe was given to each one of them. This speaks of believers. And it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. There's the answer to the question. How long, Lord? How long? until you avenge, until they, until all, and those who are on the earth, your brothers, and those who, your fellow servants, are killed as you were. Until that's completed, when that's completed, then the hammer is going to fall. And the hammer's already starting to fall, but it's going to get a lot worse. And I looked, and he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it's shaken by a mighty wind. And then the sky receded as a scroll when it's rolled up, and every mountain and every island was moved out of its place. And we see these verses in the scripture that speak of this of this time. Now, the thing that I'm not really sure about, to be honest with you, I think that there could be these things could be happening. But we know that at the end of the book of Revelation, these things are going to be happening with even greater intensity. And so we see uh, toward the end in the bold, the bold judgments of God, the very last half of the, of the tribulation, these things that we're reading about here are going to be magnified even worse. And what does Jesus say in Matthew 24? He says, nation will rise against nation, a kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. We're already seeing these things. They are birth pangs. They are happening right now, but we're not in that period yet. But can you see how things are ramping up? Have you been awake in the last 20 years, the last 30 years? Science proves this. You, you, there's graphs that they have of this stuff. It's, it's, it's no lie. I mean, the, the, the earthquakes and the intensities of them in diverse places, pestilences, famines, Ebola, COVID, you name it, it's all ramping up. It's going up and up and up. And pretty soon, when the churches are moved, it's just going to continue on and get even worse. We're just seeing the beginning of the birth pangs before the church is removed. What does it say in Matthew 24, verse 29 through 31? Immediately after the tribulation of those days, now we're speaking of the time toward the end before Jesus returns, that the days of the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven. Does it sound familiar? It sounds like what we just read. And the powers of the heaven will be shaken and then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming. Can you imagine seeing him come in the clouds? And what does it say? They're going to see him coming with the clouds with power and great glory and he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet and they will gather together as elect from the four winds. From those faithful, actually, we'll, we'll get into that when we get in there. Sorry about that. What does it say in Joel? A day of darkness. It's a day of gloominess. A day of clouds and thick darkness like the morning clouds spread over the mountains. A people come great and strong, the like of which has never been seen, nor will ever be any such after them, even for many successive generations. Joel 2.10, the earth quakes before them, the heavens tremble, the sun and moon grow dark, the stars diminish their brightness. Joel 2, verse 30 and 31, and I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. Amen? Amen. 
I hope nobody I know has to face that. In Isaiah 34, verse 4, all the host of heaven shall be dissolved. Peter talked about this in his epistle. The heavens, the earth, everything is, is going to be dissolved with fervent heat. And then God will create a new heaven and a new earth. We'll see that in Revelation 21 and 22. But all the host of heaven, Isaiah 34, 4, shall be dissolved. The heavens shall be rolled up like a scroll. All their hosts shall fall down as the leaves fall from the vine and as fruit falling from a fig tree. The stars, things, meteors, it's going to happen big time. It's going to change things pretty rapidly, pretty dramatically. Verse 15, let's go on in chapter 6 here. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us, hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the day of his wrath has come and who is able to stand. I love how this chapter ends with a question and that question will be answered in the very very next chapter. When we look at chapter 7, the answer to the question posed here is the subject of chapter 7. When the seventh, And then after chapter 7, we'll finally find the seventh seal, which will open, be opened in chapter 8. But we have this parenthetical chapter, chapter 7, which we'll look at next week. It speaks of the 144,000. It speaks of those on the earth that are, that are uh, martyred for their faith while on the earth. We got a picture of them already saying, how long, O Lord, faithful and true, will you allow these things before you bring judgment upon the world? We will see in chapter 7. Let's, uh, let's stand and um, let's pray. This is a, a really interesting chapter. But folks, do you see that these things are happening? We see them happening. I don't know about you, but it's just, it's becoming more clear. It's like, have you ever seen a, have you, have you ever had a pair of binoculars? Recently had a pair of binoculars on, and you've got to focus them in. It's kind of fuzzy, you know? And about 30 years ago, about 40 years ago, it was really fuzzy. And now as we come into the 70s and the 80s and the 90s, the focus is starting to come. It's coming, and we're able to see these things. And pretty soon, it's getting clearer and clearer, and pretty soon, it's going to be so clear and the Lord will go done we'll be out of here and then the judgment of God God is a great God of love don't ever forget that as we go through these chapters it's a very difficult passage very difficult period in the Bible it's basically the worst parts of the Bible meaning death and judgment I mean who likes to talk about that I'd much rather talk about the love and the grace of God. But you know what? The love and the grace of God is all over this chapter if you look for it because he's allowing people to be saved even during it. He's always throwing the dragnet out (laughs) no matter what. Are you caught in that dragnet? If you're not caught in his dragnet of salvation, will you today allow yourself to be like a beached whale? Allow yourself to be caught let yourself be caught. For those of you listening on the, on, the, on the internet, allow yourself to be taken. Allow him to grab a hold of you. Come into the fold of God. What have you got to lose? You've got nothing to lose. You've got everything to gain. Why wait? Do it now. Do it today. Do not wait one more minute. You must give your heart to Christ. Amen?
Father, we ask that you would do that, that work, Lord. It's a work sovereignly that you do. We can't make it happen. We can't uh, force it upon anyone else. But Lord, we pray that you'd open the hearts and open the wills of people, our own especially, Lord. Your word says that judgment must first begin at the house of God, meaning we have to shape it up, Lord. You've got a better plan. You've got a great plan for us, Lord. Help us to awaken from any slumber that we are in. Help us to awaken from any compromise that we've been allowing ourselves to be in. Lord, awaken us, refresh us, renew us, revive us, God. Revive this country that is in such a mess, Lord. Lord, help us, cleanse us, heal us. Save now, Lord. Save now, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Amen.